Marion, tell us about Viking Strong. Tonight, it's like exercise stuff that says Viking Strong. <laughs> that is not inaccurate. Is it like a giant rubber band? Yes. And what do you, you do? Josie, what do you do with it? You can put it in your giant hand. Well, how Daddy does it, he puts it on from the back of his neck, and he, likes puts it from the back of his knees and squats and goes up and down. <laughs> and sometimes he does push-ups. Yeah, I've done push-ups with him. I've done squats with him. And I've done a bunch. Well, hold on. i got a list up here. Skull crushers and the thing I do for, like, my bow arm. I figured that out on my own. But the other stuff, skull crushers and good mornings and just keyless sunrises or something. I'm, that's, I'm sure that's not on that list. It's very beneficial. And the cool thing about them is, yeah, you can take them on the go. Like, I do them in my, use it in my office. And you can throw it in your suitcase or briefcase if you're going out of town for a little while. Well, it's kind of like... Well, it's working out with weight, but it's a different experience if you're a person that doesn't like necessarily pushing iron. Viking Strong has literature on their website and everything. So being strong isn't enough to be Viking Strong. Yeah. Thanks, sir. You seen these? They're pretty. Do you drink coffee? Normal? No. Uh-uh. Yeah. These are pretty good. They're. Uh, it's just natural coffee, just straight up coffee. But uh-huh. it's uh, in this can is was it like twice or three times as much caffeine as in a, a can of Monster, uh-huh. but no sugar. Oh, okay. Is it cold or? It's yeah. It's cold and it's uh, got nitrogen shot into it. Uh huh. It's these guys. Uh, a handful of ex-UFC guys in uh, uh, New Mexico uh-huh. make it. They source the coffee beans from this uh, one farm in South America, and they know it's just like this one family. It's the only place they get their coffee beans. Huh. What's the nitrogen do? It makes it uh, stay fresher, tasting oh, longer. Okay. Uh-huh. I'm sure there's a lot of other sales pitchy stuff that they put with it, but that's all I know about it. <laughs> Um, all right. So the girls are normally here, but they apparently have some kind of project they're doing with their grandmother. Okay. I have no idea what, but they were getting really mad when they thought I was going to pull them away from it. <laughs> Do I need to be positioned anywhere relative um, to the mic? Or uh, you're, you sound pretty good. And okay. if, uh, yeah, whatever's comfortable to you. Uh, does that work? That's comfortable. Okay. Yes, sir. All right. I might turn up the. We had issues with last week's podcast, or well, the one that dropped this past Tuesday. Uh, we had issues with uh, level. We did it at our house, and it's the first one we've done at home. And I don't know why, but you, it was like I had to in the software really crank up the levels, and it sounded terrible. Hmm. Uh, and I still don't know why it was doing that. Uh, but according to my levels. On this bad boy, we're doing pretty much better this week. Okay. So, uh, when and where will this uh, session play? It will be on uh, w- uh, our website, which is wildernesslaw.us. Uh, 
Uh, Tuesday at about 6 a.m. Uh, okay. But it's iTunes kind of does its own thing, so it's between 6 and 7 a.m. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, if you have an iPhone or an iPad, you can get it on iTunes. Okay. And then on uh, Android, if you have a Stitcher app. Okay. You yeah, can I've get got it. a smartphone, so. Yeah. All right. All right um, so, all right. Uh, you want to tell us all about yourself. Just in the the introduce, and then we'll ask our clumsily worded questions. All right. Well, my name is uh, Bob Maindell. I'm uh, 47 years old. Um, started off life in central New Jersey. I was born while my dad was in Vietnam. Um, grew up as a career army officer's kid and uh, actually became a commissioned officer myself. Attended the U.S. Military Academy coming out of high school and uh, served on active duty for uh, a number of years and as well as in the uh, U.S. Army Reserves, all with uh, combat engineer units. Uh, transitioned uh, off of active duty and into civilian world, putting the uh, environmental engineering degree I had earned at uh, West Point to use. And um, then uh, for the last 14 years up until this past September, September of 2016, I uh, served in uh, ministry and uh, have since retired from ministry. So now um, I uh, conduct guided trips, fishing trips, through my business called Holding the Lion Guide Service, uh, operated on the south shore of Stillhouse Hollow, and fish on uh, Lake Belton, Georgetown, Decker, Granger, um, as well as occasional trips to Lake Bastrop. And so um, I do that on an all-catch-and-release basis and uh, year-round. There is no down season, really, uh, in um, pursuing the white bass and the hybrid striper that I pursue. Mm -hmm. So um, that's one aspect of uh, holding line guide service. I also uh, operate the Soldiers Kids Involved in Fishing Fund. The acronym for that is SCIF, Mm -hmm. the SCIF program, where we uh, put the children of um, U.S. servicemen and women on the water at absolutely no charge when that man or woman is separated from their child because of their military duty. Mm -hmm. And um, that is uh, strongly supported by, and the funds for that are raised by, the Austin Fly Fishers, which is a fly fishing club based in Austin, as the name implies. And... uh, then, uh, in addition to that, I provide uh, on-the-water sonar training sessions for those who have purchased a high-end Lowrance or Humminbird unit but aren't uh, quite confident in using it and identifying uh, fish and, and bottom features and so okay. forth. Yeah. And um, then through the guide service itself, provide uh, trips for adults uh, and also have specially priced packages where uh, only children would come out or be attended, chaperoned mm-hmm. by adults, but the do- adults not fishing, make it a little bit more reasonably uh, priced so that uh, if a five or six or 10-year-old doesn't last but two or yeah. three hours, it's it's no big deal. Yeah. Um, you haven't laid down a car payment to, <laughs> to mm-hmm. take them out on the water and figure yeah, out no that kidding. fishing wasn't yeah, for yeah, them. Yeah. So, yes, sir. So that's, uh, in summary, what, uh, what we're all about. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty good. I need to hook you up with my... <clears throat> I guess boss. Uh, I'm a 
design engineer uh, where we're sitting for audio visual systems and he's the engineer in our San Antonio office. His name is Keith uh, Marquis and he, <clears throat> he was a medic for a million years and blah, blah, blah. Uh, he'll tell you, talk your ear off about it. Uh, and it'll be really obnoxious cause he's deaf. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he uh on third tonight so on thursday nights he goes to i get is it still called brook army medical center it, like we call we did yeah, the mc yeah because sure. uh, they have another name for it now that's in after another i guess it's samsi part of it's called samsi and it's kind of a nickname because they have the like the border between them and fort sam has been taken down and because they, you know, uh, Bamsey doubled in size, mm-hmm. and uh, we've done tons of work on Bamsey, but he, you know, with his history and everything. But on, uh, they have the Warrior Family Center or something like that, and he goes there on Thursday nights when they have family night and uh, uh, serves food to them and stuff. Okay, is that and, the uh, uh, center for the Intrepid? I'm not sure if it is. That's a name uh, that I wasn't told. He just calls it, I'm going to feed my warriors. Gotcha. And, uh, but, yeah. yeah, it's a really, this one lady who, it's funny, like, you don't want to get in her bad side, but she does a great job. It used to just be, like, a room in a random building on the Bamsey campus, and, like, she had, like, a beat-up Xbox, and the soldiers kids could come and play the xbox on Mm -hmm. an old cruddy tv and then somebody stole the xbox and uh, people had started to hear about what she was doing and this uh commercial uh, contractor took her to lunch one day and uh and and he said so what do you need you know down here with what you're doing for the families and uh i guess for everybody that doesn't know bamsey is uh where a lot of uh, soldiers that get hurt in some really messed up ways uh that's where they got to go get better and uh their fam- so a lot of them as you can imagine get stuck there for a long time and when their families come to visit a lot of times the kids get stuck there for a long time with nothing to do yeah and uh so this lady figured out stuff for them to do and um and so yeah this building contractor said so what do you need and she said well, you know, since it's really hard to give anything for the kids to do since we lost the Xbox. And he's a, and she started kind of going down that road. And he said, uh, he's like looked, looked her in the eyes and he said, the way the story was relayed to me, he says, uh, how about we think outside the Xbox? And he ends up building there this huge facility that has like, you know, beautiful like stonework and there's a, a live band, uh, uh, like amphitheater out back. And there's a pool table and uh, two kitchens, and one of them is uh, handicap accessible, so mm-hmm. soldiers can cook sure. for their family. Wow. It's really awesome. It has a huge library and Blu-rays and blah blah blah. Hmm. They did they did a great job, and it's a lot of soldiers' families get a lot of good out of that place. Yeah. And uh, so, um, so you were, I guess, you finished out your service at Fort Hood. I did. I uh, came on to active duty through Fort Leonard Wood. My uh, next duty station was Fort Polk, Louisiana, where I got to fish uh, Toledo Bend <laughs> Reservoir a lot. And uh, then my final duty station for active duty was at Fort uh, at Fort Hood here. What's your first fish you ever caught? Uh, 
that would have to have been something that we trolled up in Clarks Hill Reservoir, which is in eastern Georgia, when my dad was stationed there at Fort Gordon in the uh, early 70s. All right. So we've got some pictures of me catching fish I don't remember catching. <laughs> I may not even have been able to walk back then. That's but, pretty uh, cool. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's pretty cool. Yes, sir. Yeah, I know. Hibs, you probably don't remember your first fish. I do, actually. Do you? Oh, well, yeah. If that was your first fish. It was. That channel? Yeah. Where was it? Tell that story. We were at the... It was my first time at the deer lease, and Opie had... Um, our grandpa, I named him Opie. He was That was his nickname. What and was it short for? <laughs> we, he was four years old uh, when I had started dating his mother, and... Uh, and so that's when he met my stepdad and we said what are you going to call him Optimus Prime <laughs> <laughs> so OP gotcha yeah. and so we uh, and he knew of this uh, like stream that went through the deer lease and we went and we like just put down our lines in the water and hung out Pretty much, and I caught my first channel catfish at that spot. Yeah, we got some channel cat. They were tasty. Yeah. One of the uh, neat things that I get to do with kids who come aboard my boat that have never caught a fish before in their lives is uh, work through Mr. Ron Smith with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department's uh, angler recognition program. And uh, so I'll ask if a child or even adults have, that come aboard have they've ever caught fish before and if the answer is no then uh, when they catch their first fish I'll take a photograph of them with the fish and I'll measure that fish and uh, send in their contact information the species of the fish the picture of them with the fish and the measurements of the fish and uh, Ron will work up and send them a first fish award and uh, so that's one of several things that cool. the Parks and Wildlife Department offers in the way of recognizing anglers. There's uh, big fish awards for fish that uh, exceed a certain length, and that list goes species by species. For example, uh, a white bass in Texas over the length of 15 inches would qualify for a big fish award. And um, if you land over your lifetime X number of these big fish, then you can qualify to become a Texas elite angler, which is yet another one of the mm -hmm. programs that they offer. So, oh, that's uh, cool. yeah. So uh, just trying to have that for a kid's scrapbook or to frame it to to cast a good memory in their mind about yeah. fishing in the in the whole outdoor realm there. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we're hoping to get into some whites this year. Although this weather, man, who knows what's going to happen? You better get into them quick. It's going to happen. Wow! <laughs> and then it might freeze on the yeah, backside. Sure. Who knows, man? Yeah, that's weird. Um, well, the one good thing is that with the uh, blessing of rain that we've had these past two springs, and then regular rainfall afterwards, the both of our area lakes, Belton and Stillhouse, are just slightly above full pool. And uh, we have a small rainfall event coming just to, to keep the groundwater levels up. There's, it's not uncommon even today, it's been a week or two since we've had rain, to still see some groundwater flowing in places across the surface. 
that's all really good news for the white bass spawn and for the the ecosystem in general. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's really cool. The uh, I drove past uh, Lake Travis yesterday, and I saw some uh, private docks underwater. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen water <laughs> touching the docks in yeah. I don't know how many years. <laughs> Remember that one year we went to what lake was it and you got you lost a boot in the mud yeah we went to Buchanan one year and I hadn't we'd fished it a couple years before that and it was not full but it wasn't like this and we went there and it would look like Mad Max you know it just was a wasteland yeah and so you were walking across hundreds of yards of mud to get to the water yeah and uh there wasn't and, even that much water yeah, when one, you got to the water yeah and at one point my one of my legs sank up above the knee into the mud and it was like an hour of playing with the mud to get out yeah and then my boot was still down there and i had to <laughs> yoink it out it was an interesting trip and of course we caught nothing mm-hmm. yeah but, we were hoping to catch catfish in the muddy water but yeah you're low tristan Get up on your mic, boy. Hello. You know that. Um, my uh, brother t- uh, uh, tells me a lot. He's like, you know, he's like, your whole podcast is just telling. You know, we're like fifty episodes deep. He's like, every episode is just you telling your kids to get on the microphone <laughs> for an hour. Because <laughs> especially his youngest sister, she's five, and she's just a little wiggle worm, mm-hmm. and just. We almost need to put a wireless, like, Britney Spears microphone on her, you know? <laughs> Keep up with it. Yeah. <clears throat> that wouldn't actually be a bad idea. Well, yeah, wireless mics are a whole new challenge, I know, because I've worked with them. And uh, teaching people to use them is whew, adults. It's mm-hmm. enough trouble. Um, okay, so you, let's see, how come you're... Uh, decided to go catch and release well there's a couple of reasons um first is that as a guide guiding on public waters i take way way more than my fair share of fish out of a public resource um for the 2016 season uh over the side of my boat we put 15,011 fish uh, over over the rail last year, wow. and that's on Stillhouse Hollow, which is 6,400 acres, and Belton Lake, which is only about 13,000 acres. Those are very small lakes by Texas standards, mm-hmm. and um, both of them have had issues with drought. Both of them are infested now with zebra mussels, yeah. and so um, when things go wrong with a fishery, a lot of times right or wrong, the people that get blamed first are fishing guides. Right. And so I decided from day one that we were going to live above that fray, that we were going to take a, a conservation mindset and stance and just uh, go ahead and voluntarily return all the fish that we caught to the water. And um, so that is the real reason. Um, I think the longer I fish the more I realize how fragile this fishery is, it, it would not take but one flood at the wrong time to really devastate either one of those lakes. Oh, yeah. um, and so just trying to make sure that there's, there's breeding stock there and, of course, returning large specimens to the water so that 
that set of genetics gets continue to be passed down in the in the in the chain is another uh, strong consideration for returning fish to the water. As a practical matter, neither Belton nor Stillhouse, which are both Corps of Engineer managed reservoirs, have electricity or running water mm-hmm. in the boat launch areas. And so if you are going to try to do an excellent job at providing an edible product to your clients, mm-hmm. you're going to have to bring um, 12-volt battery-powered fillet knives. You're going to have to bring sufficient water to wash down your fillets, wash up your tools, and um, that is time and expense that gets passed on to guess who? Right. My client. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, my rates are much, much more reasonable than uh, most other competitive guides, and one of the reasons for that is because I run a tight, efficient ship to start with. And the other reason is because I don't have another 45 minutes or 90 minutes tagged on to the end of a white bass fishing trip with three people hauling 75 fish <laughs> out of the lake yeah. to uh, to process and, and charge time for. And so, um, you know, the warm water species that we have in, in our central Texas lakes are not just awesome eating fare. It's not like they're rainbow trout or walleye or red snapper from the Gulf or anything like that. And so I think uh, the money saved and not going with a guide who uh, catches, cleans, and sends fish home with you in a bag could be better spent maybe at Longhorn Steakhouse eating something that's really good. <laughs> so uh, anyway, for all yeah. those reasons and more, um, okay. I've decided that we're going to do catch and release and do it right. Yeah. Yes, sir. I'm just curious. It's... Uh... Um, yeah, because we've been, um, I we with Boy Scouts used to camp on uh, at Blora, and um, and we never caught anything when we try go fishing. But so most of my fishing there has been with Marty with GarQuest. Sure. So you know, obviously it's a completely different world there, sure. but that's just my experience of it. So I was wondering. So that's interesting. Uh, but, of course, with most people with bass, it's the sport anyway, uh, which uh, I don't have a ton of experience fishing for bass. Uh, me and him were, uh, Tristan, were talking to, oh, I can't remember the name of it now, Syntex uh, Bass Hunters or something. They were at the show, the boat show the other day. Yes. And uh, I guess that's all they do, uh, which makes sense with the name, right? <laughs> I don't really like I just like to eat fish. <laughs> yeah. So, but I think, but we were talking about, uh, at some point, talking to his school, you know, because uh, bass fishing, sport fishing is a big deal in high schools, in some high schools now. Right. I know in Colleen ISD, it's gotten bigger. It has. They were next to y'all at the show. and right. uh, uh and it's funny, My his mother saw that they had a uh, Liberty Hill flag on their thing, and, and she said, we're Liberty Hill. And it took me a minute to realize, I was like, no, we're not that Liberty Hill, because that's a campus in Colleen ISD. We're in Liberty Hill, Tacoma, Texas. Okay. Uh-huh. And, uh, but, yeah, it's, we don't have a bass team, but we're half of our 4-H kids go to Rouse, which is Leander ISD, and that I believe they won state a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And that was when I first became aware that high schools were even doing that as a 
like a UIL, I guess, sport. Oh, really? Yeah. The uh, whole Killeen Independent School District effort is uh, is orchestrated by a fellow by the name of Henry Nemec, and uh, he has um, helped foster the um, building of a team from each of the five Killeen Independent School District high schools mm -hmm. and has given a helping hand to other school districts for them to get a program up and running as well. They are uh, actually underwritten by, I believe it's the Bass Federation, and the Bass Federation actually provides them with curriculum so that tenants of bass fishing can be tied into other uh, more mainstream subject matter. And um, so the kids have some standards that they need to meet, certain number of meetings they must attend. There's some administrative duties that they have to tend to so that uh, they get some exposure to leadership, uh, tournament organization, things like that. So it's a, it's a really solid program, and uh, Henry's done a great job of, uh, of bringing that on board for, for Killeen. Yeah, that's cool. I might... Uh... I don't know. Need to talk to either 4-H people or our high school about because you know we're Liberty Hill is just a chip shot away from Lake Buchanan and Inks and sure. whatever else Colorado yeah. River, and of course both forks of the San Gabriel go through Liberty Hill. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot, you know, a lot of times during the spring you'll drive by the high school and see a lot of boats leaving the school before kids are supposed to be leaving school, <laughs> and. Uh, so it's the interest is definitely there yeah. in the community. So it'd be I always thought it'd be cool for by the time he got to high school age for that to be something that was an option for mm -hmm. him. That was the last caveman. Yeah, I know. Um your brain. Um I wish I knew a little bit more about bass tactics to ask you. I do my uh, standard joke that I ask fishing and hunting guides. Uh, what's the best bait, and what are the GPS coordinates of your secret hole? <laughs> well, the uh, um, the bass fishing uh, I do is for white bass and hybrid striped bass. Those are very, very different species from the, the black bass family, the largemouth and smallmouth bass that most bass tournament anglers fish for. The uh, black bass family, largemouth and smallmouth, the Guadalupe, the spotted bass, uh, they are like crappie, like sunfish, they're a cover-loving ambush feeder. Mm. And so the trick to finding them is to find cover that they can hide in and ambush from. That is not at all the case with the fish that I pursue. I'm after white bass and hybrid striper. They're from a family of fish known as temperate bass, along with uh, ocean-going striped bass, the white perch, which is found up in New England, and the yellow bass, which is found um, throughout the southeast and southwest. Um, the temperate bass, they are a freshwater pelagic, which means they are constantly on patrol in large schools working together to encounter and then feed on open water bait fish, namely threadfin shad. And so um, when you get into white bass and hybrid striped bass fishing, uh, being able to use and interpret marine electronics, so the sonar units that uh, Lawrence and Humminbird and others produce, uh, is very, very critical because you're going to have to cover a lot of open water searching for irregularities in the topography 
And when you encounter those, that's typically where the bait fish and therefore these game fish are going to be. The nice thing about uh, whites and hybrids and yellow bass and striped bass is because they do school together heavily. When you put in the work to find one, you'll find 30, 40, 200 uh, all piled up and you can enjoy a a lengthy time of catching once you've uh, worked to find them. So uh, that's very different from largemouth bass where largemouth at most they'll hang together in little wolf packs of maybe five or ten fish. Typically larger ones will be just very uh, uh, lone Mm -hmm. wolf type fish. They'll be one and they are even said to be... Which is so rare. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, even said to be territorial driving off other competitors uh, in their little area. So, uh, I know so anyway, very mammal different. species that do that. You know, that's uh, like the white rhinoceros. Sure. That's an issue they're having with the, them is the ones that are getting too old hmm. and they're like killing the breeding age ones and that's hurting their... Yeah, they're not looking out for the big <laughs> no. picture. So so anyway, uh, you had yeah. asked about the uh, about favorite bait. Um, through the seasons, I use different baits um, from November through March. Um by far the most effective bait is the uh, is the slab. That is just a teardrop or shad-shaped piece of lead with a treble hook on the bottom, and I use um, a little add-on called the Hazy Eye Stinger Hook affixed to the top, the line tie at the top, and that's fish typically straight up and down under the boat. Uh, as the spring months come around, uh, March and April into May, uh, live bait in the form of uh, freshly caught, Threadfin shad you caught with cast a cast form. net mm-hmm. yep, uh, is great, uh, as are a family of baits called blade baits. Um, they're a uh, consist of a thin metallic body with a lead keel on them, typically two hooks front and back. You throw those out and work them back to the, to the boat near bottom horizontally. Then uh, through the summer months, uh, down rigging takes uh, over, uh, takes center stage. Because uh, they don't like the heat at the at the top or uh well the water warms up and stratifies so you've got a uh a warm oxygen rich layer of water near the surface down to about 30 or 40 feet and then below that is a cold but oxygen poor layer down deep and the fish uh, have to live up in that upper oxygen rich layer and so when they do that, they tend to scatter and suspend. They don't use the bottom near as much as they do during the cold months. And so I use a tactic called down rigging uh, and use uh, very thin metal spoons. My favorite is the pet spoon. I use that um, on what looks like an Alabama rig or the old uh, umbrella rig uh, to mm-hmm. present multiple baits at one time and will indeed catch two or three fish at a time on one rod using that uh, tactic. And then uh, as things cool off, it's back to slabs again. Um, over the summer months, you may be able to enjoy some top water uh, in there, and I have a couple of top water baits that I really mm-hmm. like. But, um, yeah, so that's that, and I will uh, go ahead and pass on the uh, GPS location. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would too. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and you do Granger. Uh, do y'all ever... Uh, Go like not even necessarily when you're guiding, just when you're you uh, go after your crappie over there. Yeah, um, Granger is a is very different from the all of the other lakes that I fish. Granger is out in what is called Texas Blackland. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's where is, I grew. I grew up in Axtell, Texas. Okay, sure. Which is black land as black thing yeah. gets, but ain't a lot of water. 
Right. So the topography of black land, which is east of the Texas Hill Country, it's flat. And um, because you have black land, which is a heavy clay in the dirt, in the soil, uh, you get a lot of coloration in the runoff. And so um, Lake Granger is much shallower and much more murky uh, and much more silt silted in than are the deeper, clearer, rocky-bottomed hill country lakes uh, like Georgetown, um, Stillhouse, Belton, Canyon, Travis, Buchanan, and the whole Colorado River chain of lakes between right. Travis and... and the uh, Highland Yeah, lakes. the Highland yeah. chain, sure. And so, uh, anyway, because Granger is so off-colored, it offers more consistent shallow water white bass action in the summer months than the deeper, clearer lakes where sunlight penetrates and those white bass tend to hold and hang deeper. And so for those who are interested in fly fishing, um, Granger Lake offers some neat uh, topwater action early in the morning and again late in the evening uh, over fairly shallow water, some of the main lake humps and uh, flatter areas out there. So that's kind of uh, what I keep that tucked away for. Yeah, is, uh, that's is that cool. Kind of uh, niche there. Yeah, me and uh, him have been talking about getting into fly fishing, and my cousin and his wife. It's funny, completely separate. And then at Christmas, we were just talking about what we talk about hunting and fishing, and he was like, "Yeah, me and my wife, we've been out fly fishing, and uh, and just right close to here." And I was like, "Who fly fishes here?" And then apparently, there's this whole world I didn't know about of Central Texas fly fishing. Mm-hmm. that's uh kind of kicked up and uh yeah so him and his wife and so me and dingle we were thinking we were going to go to colorado fly fishing but if we can learn around here before we go up there even better yeah and then i found out yesterday my boss is really big uh a different boss is really big into it mm-hmm. and uh so that's yeah we're really interested in that so it's cool that we can go to granger yeah, probably the, the three most popular fly fishing pursuits in Texas are uh, the spring white bass run and in the hill country rivers, mm-hmm. um, pan fishing for sunfish, primarily in uh, shallow warm water during the summer months from May through oh, probably the end of September anyway, and then the uh, whole gulf um, shallow water fishery for redfish on the fly has become really big and um, the use of kayaks have really opened up a lot of those mm. previously inaccessible backwaters where uh, redfish are are, are uh, regularly found so uh, yeah there's there's a number of different genres of fly fishing even within texas that one can explore oh that's cool yeah, yeah I'm, i can't wait to get it i'm just I want to get and we we say every year we want to get more into fishing more and then uh you know in pa- years past turkey would take precedence mm-hmm. and now we ain't got a place to hunt turkey so let's try let's do it you mm-hmm. know and uh, and then you saw those uh, canoes in the back of my truck out there I just bought those that's where I was coming back from when I got the call to divert and try to go help uh, Tristan's grandmother and then that messed up my timing completely. Um, but, yeah, I just bought those from a dude off Craigslist, so we're going to try to get out. Okay. Dump sure. a bunch of different we places. We have so many boats now. Yeah. 
we're we're I guess boat rich in little tiny. We got those two and a, a John boat now. Mm-hmm. And our homemade boat. Oh yeah, we made a boat last year with uh, uh, like plywood and uh, uh, barrels, and uh, it's pretty neat. It's a lot of fun. Um, just kind of a barge type thing. How um, heavy is it? Uh, it's not too bad. I can pull it into the truck myself as long as the truck's not downhill like uh-huh. on a boat ramp, <laughs> like every boat ramp on Earth. That's why it's called a ramp, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's not too bad. Uh, but, yeah, the uh, we figured out they don't do it anymore, but uh, the blank car washes around here. That's what they get their soap in is those big plastic barrels, and mm-hmm. they just dump. We're giving them away, mm-hmm. and so I got ended up with like ten of them at the house, and we were like, "Well, let's do something with them." All right, and it was we had a little bit of fun with them, but yeah. Advertisement: If you need barrels, come to us. No, well, I guarantee you, I got projects for them. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, so uh, how much? Uh, I guess. Because we got the canoes, we're going to try to get into river fishing a bunch. Uh, um, around here, what kind of river trips have, have you ever done or have you? Um, through my guide service, I really don't offer that. I've got a 20-foot, um, 9-inch center console, and uh, that's what I oh, use as my fishing so cool. <laughs> platform. But... Uh, when I have a day off, um, I will go up into the skinny water in some of our, our hill country rivers and uh, and um, ditch the the power boat for, uh, I prefer to wade, actually. Oh, yeah. I don't really like fishing out of a canoe or a kayak. They're fine to get there, mm-hmm. but I really like to be able to stand and uh, use that extra height with polarized glasses on to really oh, analyze yeah. um, holes to see if they're holding life and then to, to work them well with uh, fly gear. So, uh, I mean, you've got, you've got the Guadalupe, you've got the Blanco, you've got the Leon, you've got the Lampasas, you've got the Colorado, uh, the Lano. I mean, mm-hmm. all of these have uh, tremendous white bass runs in them and, uh, um, you know, of course, you want to pick a weekday because when the word gets right. out, the weekends can just be a zoo. Well, um, but uh, yeah, those are those are all good places to 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 head to. There's even a little segment of the San Gabriel between Lake Georgetown and Lake Granger mm-hmm. uh, that that's well known for its white bass fishery, as well as the Tejas Camp area up yeah, above. Yeah, uh, we've been there. Of times. Georgetown, sure, yeah. yeah. Sure. Uh, the last well, the last year where there was a bad drought, uh, we were over there, and uh, and I was mostly like we were there just with his sisters, and you know how it is with your kids, you don't get any fishing yeah. done. Yeah, you're fixing their stuff the whole time, which yeah. is still fun. But uh, but that was when that at Tejas Camp where that uh, bridge is, mm-hmm. uh, it was above or uh, it was. Uh, not just above water, it was way above water. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, so there were, it was funny, we were watching, we were on the south side of it, or I guess the southeast side of it, and uh, people kept coming up to it in kayaks and having to turn around. It was like, you know, even though there had been like a decent-sized rain right before that, yeah, 
And it was just like every fish that got pulled out was kind of sad and pathetic looking. And now you go there, it's swole up pretty yeah. good. Yeah. And you're not driving through there last time I went. Last time I was over there anyway. Yeah. Uh, but there's some cool stuff over there. And uh, and that's where my cousin's been uh, fly fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm definitely going to. And we got waders and ready. I need to get him a lighter pair. I got him like the heavy rubber ones. And uh, and that was like the first. And then later bought myself some because I'd never, we didn't grow up wading, you know. And uh, and the ones I bought were lighter. And I was like, oh, these are way better than what I got him. It's and like walking around. It's like it's like walking around as Frankenstein. Yeah, but really the weight doesn't matter that much once you're in the water. But still, it's, yeah. It's it'll be uh it's it it's oh, it's a workout getting to the water and his those spare tires that he's got yeah um yeah that's that's cool um remember that one one year we went with um the girls and Jessica to yeah that's what I was just talking about oh. <laughs> yeah that's Tejas camp. And then we saw that bat with rabies. Like, we kept, it was middle of the day and it was almost 100 degrees outside, just glaring sun. And we kept seeing this bat and he was kind of crippled. And we were like, yeah, he's not right in the head. Mm -hmm. Something's seriously wrong with that old boy. (laughs) Um, But, um, so how long you been doing the Soldier's Kids thing? Uh, That, uh, program began in May of 2009. We took our first uh, two kids out on the water and um, so it's been going strong ever since then. We uh, we typically will do between 24 and 30 trips a year. Um, those are four-hour trips with um, primarily elementary age kids. I get a few middle school and, and even fewer high school age kids, but uh, typically... Uh, elementary age kids. When I uh, first started doing these trips, um, you know, our, our heart, mine, and the and the uh, Austin Fly Fishers was to serve our our soldiers by letting them know that when they couldn't be here to take their kids out fishing or or do anything with them, that uh, there was somebody from the local community who would step up and and uh, and and try to do that. And uh, we knew the kids would enjoy this. What I didn't appreciate was how uh, how much the home front parent, that parent who is remaining behind with those children, would come to appreciate this effort. Right. Um, if you just picture a mom, for example, who has, uh, let's say she's got a three-year-old, um, a baby, and a kid in third grade, okay? That lady is essentially a single parent, 24-7, 365, and back when the uh, war in Iraq first began, mm-hmm. our soldiers were going through 15-month deployments. Yeah. That is a long that time. Bad. That was real bad. So I uh, had moms coming to me saying, you know, Bob, you just don't realize how much of a blessing this is. I was able just to keep up with my 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 smallest child or my younger two children and not have to worry about all three of them getting into it or whatever. Um, I've had moms tell me that, you know, they have to bring their infant 
in with them as they shower, as they as they use the restroom, because they require supervision and their mate yeah. is not there to to split that duty with them. And so just to have four hours for a breather um, has just has been a tremendous blessing to them. And that's something that I I didn't appreciate. It really hit me, kind of took me off guard yeah. when I had a number of moms come to me and say, here's what I appreciated about this. So <laughs> that's, that's been neat. That's really cool. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, I remember I worked at uh, when that war first kicked off. Well, I guess it was right after we invaded uh, Iraq. I was started working at Channel 25, and uh, I was a broadcast engineer, and we were handling a lot of stuff in Colleen. You know, main things in Waco, but we were in Colleen a lot, and a lot of, you know, like the good-looking reporter girls were soldiers' wives, and uh, and the stuff they were going through, and they never seen, and yeah. I always coming home, and then all of a sudden he wasn't coming home. Mm-hmm. He was just going to be over there a little bit longer and a little bit longer and a little bit longer. I was like, God, how do you, I don't even know how y'all handle that, yeah. man. Yeah. So it's really cool that there were, you were able to help some of them with that. Because especially getting kids in the outdoors, that's something I've talked to. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, where I'm from... It's not a big deal, and I'm, you know, it, cause, country. It's all country kids. They like being outside doing, you know, fishing and hunting and whatever. Anyway, but Austin and here, uh, you know, the suburbs. It's so few people get to, or I don't know why. It's just our my generation and younger, and it's getting worse and worse. There's just nobody interested in it. Mm-hmm. I think what is it? I think nationwide, only thirteen percent of Americans have fishing licenses nowadays, which you know, you know, a generation ago would have been double or more, and then the same the generation before that. Of course, you go much further, and that fishing licenses weren't a thing that existed. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I was like. I heard that number and I was like, how is that even possible? Because I didn't grow up, you know, growing up, every kid went fishing, you know, every kid. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter. You know, that's one of the things, the American model of wildlife conservation is it's not a king game anymore. Anybody can do it. And where I came from. And so it's weird to me being around, uh, like I say, him and his friends, it's not a big deal because Liberty Hill, everybody's on the same page as where I grew up, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but, you know, we'll have, like, um, cousins or friends or we'll be at a birth, and all these kids, none of them know even how. You know, they don't know how to clean a fish. They yeah. don't know. And I don't know that much about, uh, I don't know as much about fishing as I do about uh, hunting just because I just have more experience hunting. Mm-hmm. And uh, and wish I had more experience fishing. Wish I had more experience hunting too. It'd be awesome to <laughs> quit this job and just go do both of them full time. But uh, yeah, that's the dream, right? And uh, well, yes, sir. Well, like Aiden, uh, that time that you got that we went. Oh yeah, fishing. we went fishing for your birthday. Yeah. Um, 
That was the first fish he's ever caught. Yeah, he, he caught a little perch, and uh, the, you know, it's uh, I don't know what what you call it. Not as long as a dollar bill, and uh, yeah, this is I didn't realize it till we were about to throw it back that it was his first fish ever. Uh-huh. And uh, and which is funny because his stepdad is big into the outdoors, but I guess he's he's more hunting too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Yeah, it just surprises me. The kids, I don't even don't think about it until these rugrats showed up, and I experience. You know, I'm around kids more. And uh, I'm so glad it was you and not some other person, because then I would have been boring. I don't understand anything you just said. Like <laughs> that. That was not a sentence. <laughs> I think that's what the kids are calling it these days. Um. I think you, yeah, whatever, goofball. But uh, so yeah, I'm. It's all when we heard that y'all were doing that. That was really cool. Yeah, that other guy was at the boat show that did that, uh, the pool thing, and that's fun. But that ain't fishing, mm-hmm. you know. But that is fun. That's I remember doing that when I was a little kid too, you know. And uh, and that's the one my mom would take me to. You know, my stepdad would take me out under the dams and everything else, and. And my mom would be like, hey, there's some fishing things to go to. She's funny. Because uh, she didn't want to go fish. out. Huh? Did a cut a fish? Yeah, our, my, uh, his five-year-old sister caught a fish there, and it was about as big as her. She's tiny. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, yeah, no, that's really cool. So I definitely would like to get you in touch with Keith because he'll know some active-duty guys that would – and what you might run into there, it, I mean, obviously they're in San Antonio, but uh, I'm sure there's something that could get figured out. But uh, what you might run into there is, is, is some soldier parents that aren't deployed, but they are unable to get their kids Take out. their own kids, sure. Yeah. We, we've done that before. It's a very flexible program. I've been given a lot of latitude by the folks at the Austin Fly Fishers. They've been just nothing but gracious and been over backwards they just want to serve our our troops so we've had uh folks from as far away as uh reserve centers in dallas to uh a number of folks from uh the the san antonio area of course most of the folks that use the skiff program are from fort hood there right, but right, it's right. certainly not limited to that yeah well there's enough on fort hood oh yeah yeah it, every time i go out there it's surprised i forget how big it is you <laughs> know i grew up around it and I remember we would be, when I was in my early 20s, before uh, working in broadcast, I was, did uh, some residential construction type of stuff with my dad. And we would be, uh, not McGregor, but towards McGregor from Waco. So even that far away, and we'd hear the music, munitions testing from Fort Hood. Sure, yeah. You're like, God, it's that big. It is, and it is that big. And uh, but yeah, it's bigger than most towns. Like, mm-hmm. and people don't realize they think it's just another. I'll talk to people about Fort Hood here, and they'll think it's just a little like uh, Camp Mabry yeah, size. Sure. You know, yeah. It's like ah, oh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because uh, we've done a lot of work, uh, uh, now it, I guess our San Antonio office took over Fort Hood as a customer, but we've done a lot of work there for like OTC. Sure. Yeah. Uh, um, that's a cool place. They do a lot of interesting tech stuff. Mm-hmm. So I get to nerd out and talk to them. But uh, 
Yeah, Fort Hood's cool. And yeah, but yeah, there's so many. And now most of them are home, right? So uh, as compared to ten years ago. Yeah, we, you know, we're continuing to rotate troops um, in support of the war on terror, and uh, directly in uh, in taking on the threat with ISIS on a regular basis. Um, we don't have a full division deployment like was done during the uh, the yeah. Gulf War and during the war in Iraq, but um, we are also rotating troops regularly through uh, South Korea as well. So uh, there's oh, never a time when okay. everybody's home. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, well, yeah, I don't think, but I, what little bit I knew about it was more of them. Were, but then all of a sudden I saw that uh, private companies were doing the gate guard thing again. So I was like, somebody's going here that President Obama's not necessarily telling us about. Because, you know, uh, the news made it sound like everybody's home. I'm like, no, nah, I don't think yeah. that's the case or no. we wouldn't have... <laughs> Uh, what it's not Pinkertons. It's that's funny. I did a. I didn't. Uh, we did a job. Well, it was a different. I was with a different company then, but at an Air Force base in Louisiana, and the gate guards were Pinkerton mm-hmm. agency. I was like, oh, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just being a history nerd. But uh, wait, Pinkertons are still a thing. Yeah, they're. But like, I thought they, the that's the FBI. What? Uh, not exactly. Pinkertons kind of did back then. Some of what FBI does now was where that conversation you and I were having was centered. But Pinkertons is still a private company that they're like a security contractor, but they also are uh, private detectives for hire still. That's in Texas. That's the only legal way to be a private detective is to be with a big company like that. Um, yeah, that was always uh, my like telltale thing to know when like i don't know if like first id was mobilized or whatever but when a bunch of guys were gone was when those uh, all of a sudden it wasn't soldiers on the gate yeah and uh so i was curious how all that was going over there and uh i don't that could be a whole other 17 podcast talking about that mess Mm -hmm. but man uh but let's talk about because <laughs> I won't be as sad. Because <laughs> man, that's getting rough. But uh, uh, what do you got, boy? You're been quiet this entire podcast. You don't shrug to a microphone. <laughs> but, it, but it has a camera built in. No, it doesn't. I know. You're just a weird nerd. I know. <laughs> Um, what do you want to know about fishing? Ooh, I had a question. <laughs> but I forgot to ask it. Mm-hmm. How many fish do you usually catch, like, per uh, trip? Well, um, partly because I have an engineering background, I'm sort of an analytical type of person. I like to keep statistics, and I like to look over data to see if there's trends and averages and things like that. I, I think that uh, helps in a lot of different areas in your life, in your finances uh, and certainly in fishing. Um, I ran the numbers, and in uh, 193 guided trips last year, catching those 15,011 fish, if you do the numbers, that divides out to 
just a little over 77 fish caught per fishing trip. Um, most, the vast majority of those trips were four hours in length. Uh, I do offer longer full day trips, but uh, usually suggest folks just fish a half day. And um, so that, that answers your question. The average trip last year was 77 it was point seven. That's a fish. lot of action in four hours. It is. That's yeah. cool. And uh, now if you broke that down month by month, there are some months where the average was actually higher than that. And, of course, there's months where the action was lower than that. Um, one of the probably the best kept secrets is that uh, the cold months are typically more productive than the warm months are. Um, November, December, and into January can be as productive or even more productive than what people typically think, think is white. the best uh, fishing, which is uh, March and April. Um, that's what I'm after, white bass yeah. and hybrid striper. That's that's correct. That's cool. So, yeah. Yep. I didn't know that. And part of the reason for that is because uh, in the cold months, these uh, fish begin to really, really uh, consolidate into fewer but larger schools than they will mm. be in for the entire rest of the year. So uh, also, given that they're a cold-blooded creature, their metabolism decreases with cold water. And so they're not feeding as often, they're moving less, and they're bunching up. So when you find fish, you can go back to those same fish day after day after day. As long as the weather is stable, they rarely move. And... Um, um, there continue no to catch them that way. Education, like them getting educated to the hook or anything. There's no. so many of them. I mean, you know, That's fish cool. are fish have a brain the size of a pea. Yeah, and God programmed them with instincts. They they're not smart. They don't really learn. Yeah. Uh, you can't you know condition a fish to to come to a bell like you can with a higher animal like a dog or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, they're just they're just programmed to eat and not be and keep from being eaten eat yeah. and keep from being eaten that's all they're about and so so um, fish any fish is really not all that hard to catch the trick is finding them and uh, that's where experience and the use of marine electronics uh, really really comes in in particular in these open water species like the like the white bass and the hybrid striper those the full-blood stripers i wish i'd have known about your expertise with the uh, sonar because i have a at home my grandfather's and it's the it's like the the chassis is wood <laughs> like it's awesome it's a billion years old and uh, just to, for us to play with it'd be fun yeah it's probably a like a flasher style it's got a round like a metal uh, thing that drops in the water, like yes. a probe. Yes, uh -huh. yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's just, it, uh, me and my dad were cleaning out a bunch of his old, uh, Pawpaw's old fishing stuff mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, and I found that. I was like, oh, I want to play with this. Yeah. Probably doesn't work at all. I hadn't had time to throw it on a battery. But uh -huh. Sure, what's yeah. your question? Be down. What is the biggest fish you or a client has ever caught? Uh, well, my personal best is a 120-pound, uh, uh, nearly six-foot mako shark that I caught on fly gear off the oh, uh, coast gosh. of San Diego. <laughs> uh, mako sharks are one of the shark species more highly sought after by fly anglers or any angler 
because they're uh, they jump when they're hooked. So they're really super sporty. They'll they'll flip, they'll twist, uh, they'll greyhound, um, and all kinds of acrobatics that you can see. So they're very exciting. Um, so that's the largest that I have uh, that I've personally landed. That was a lot of fun. Um, for my clients, I had a young lady by the name of Maddie Hawkins, and she is from Friendswood, Texas, a suburb south of Houston. She was visiting her grandparents in Killeen for the summer a number of years ago, and we were trolling for white bass, and um, the one of the downrigger rods, I usually troll with two downriggers, one of the rods went off, and... Uh, I could tell it was a sizable fish because the, the rod bent way back down into the butt section near the handle. And uh, I thought we had hooked a, a hybrid striped bass. And um, uh, hybrid fight long and hard, but not as long and hard as this fish fought. <laughs> and so after a while, I realized this was not a, uh, a hybrid striper. And uh, every time we'd get it in close to the boat, because she was so small and the fish was so big, it would just pull out more line and spook. And we'd get it, I thought we would be able to see it and, and get a net on it, and it would pull out more line and spook. And so uh, after quite a tussle, uh, she finally wore that fish out. And it just about wore her out, too. <laughs> and uh, we got that fish into the net. It was a... Uh, uh, it was a smallmouth buffalo fish, oh, yeah. which was uh, uh, over 30 pounds. And um, it was uh, just about 30 inches in length and just a huge, huge fish. For those who don't know, a buffalo, smallmouth buffalo, looks like a carp, but uh, doesn't have the little barbells uh, to the left and right sides of its sucker-shaped mouth. And um, so uh, that was the largest I've had a, a client land in uh, in freshwater that way. I want to tell I want to tell a story. Okay. So we were fishing a hole uh, when we were um, fishing Lake Whitney. Remember, we went on the vacation. Was that yeah, Lake yeah. Whitney? That was yeah. Lake Whitney. And we were fishing that, and we there was this little like thing. Fishing shack. Fishing shack, and there was a hole, and we had been catching like perch and stuff. And I went out there one morning pretty early with my uncle, and we were using worms. And all of a sudden, my the rod <coughs> just goes down, like, really far into the water. And I'm, like, fighting, and, and I fought for, like, I don't know how long, but it wasn't that long. And I pull up an alligator gar on a worm. Uh-huh. And I pull him up, and I was like, I caught a guard. He was like, awesome. Snapped. Yeah, um, each year in fishing for white bass and hybrid striper, we hook a number of gar. You usually wind up hooking a lot more than you actually land because that long, bony snout of theirs doesn't have a whole lot of tissue for a hook in the barb on the hook to catch into and hold. So... Uh, it's not unusual for them to come up and shake their head or even jump, and that's usually where they're lost is on the very first jump or hook sh or head shake. But, um, yeah, when you manage to get them in the boat, uh, sometimes I've seen where the line will actually lasso around their snout uh, or hook them in the very corner of the mouth closer to their body under their eye, um, and uh, that way you can wind up actually getting them in the boat. But, uh, yeah, that's a good story. Yeah, I was trying to find... A picture of uh, 
Uh, I'm not going to find it, but of a redfish that uh, Tristan caught on Lake Calaveras. Uh, that same cousin, when he married that young lady, that his wife that he's been fly fishing with, uh, his bachelor party was we went, uh, took a guided trip on Calaveras, and Tristan caught what we thought was, we were in two boats, the uh, uh, groomsman party, I guess, uh, uh, split up in two, and he definitely got the biggest of our boat and then this other fella got one that was just a little bit bigger in the other boat but um yeah he was fighting you were fighting well i'm gonna say 20 minutes or something maybe right he was exhausted and it was and i wish i could show you the picture show you how big it is but it, he was a little bit smaller then and it was almost as long as he is mm-hmm. it was really that was fun um and that was downriggers Oh, okay, uh, yeah. That guy, the guy we would go with down, no, down there. I thought, I thought the story was like, it didn't take us. It took us like ten minutes, and it took the dude in the other boat who and his fish was. Oh, it took boat. him a lot longer. Yeah. But it took you a while. Mm-hmm. Like your your fish was definitely tuckered out by the time you landed it. Um, but yeah, I want to say like his yeah, because the guys in the other boat were getting tired of him reeling. Is like. Because they wanted to fish. <laughs> like, we were only out here for so long, dude. <laughs> yeah, man, it is fun. It's hard to beat fishing. It really is. What it's time just, are we at? Oh, uh, we are, we're just over an hour on the recorder. Wow, this has gone that quick. It's uh, almost 545. So, uh, yeah, we're about to finish out here. Right. Um. I'm, I know there's a question I need to ask you that I'm not thinking of. Uh, I think you were asking about my contact information so people could yes, give me a call. <laughs> I, de- I was definitely going to ask that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so uh, if uh, someone would like to fish on uh, Belton or Stillhouse any time in the year, uh, they can get a hold of me by phone or text. I'm at 254-368-7411. I do have a Facebook page. It's... Uh, Facebook.com forward slash Bob Maindell. That's B-O-B-M-A-I-N-D-E-L-L-E. And um, my website is pretty simple. It's www.holdingthelineguideservice.com. That's a mouthful, holdingthelineguideservice.com. And uh, on both my Facebook page and on my uh, website, I post very detailed fishing reports and pictures for every single trip that I take. And so um, now I don't post those GPS coordinates you're asking about. <laughs> that uh, I actually used to do something like that, and it, it really backfired. People just abused that. So, uh, But if you're curious about which lake I'm fishing and uh, generally speaking where the fish are and what I'm using, you can definitely uh, expect to find those pieces of information out there on the website. It should be helpful for for anyone, especially if you're new to the area, to uh, to take a look at as a real good resource. And it goes back years and years in the past. So not only can you see what I did last trip, you can see what I did, uh, you know, 2,400 trips ago in June of 2001, or it's quite a database. No, awesome. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, and I will put links to that on the Facebook page Great, and our you. website, wildernesslaw.us. Great. Um, which is linked when I drop it. That's uh, most people get to me through Facebook. Yeah. So it'll, we'll have 
and you'll see yourself tagged on there. And okay, stuff. super. And uh, it'll be, yeah. And so look for that. And uh, Tristan, do you want to do our contact information? Do you remember yes. off the top of your head? You're getting better at this. Thank you for listening to the Wilderness Law Podcast. Mm-hmm. You can see us at on Facebook. On at, What are we called it on Facebook? The Wilderness Law Podcast. Yep, super simple. And then on... Instagram, we are... At sign? At Wilderness underscore law. Boom. And that's also Twitter. Yes, at Wilderness underscore law on Twitter. And then what's the website? I've uh, said it a couple of times already. The but. website is the Wilderness Law Podcast. Dot U. The Wilderness Law dot U.S. There you go. We thought that sounded cool. Bob, thank you for coming out and talking to us. This has been really awesome. Thank you for the invite. I've enjoyed it too. Yes, sir. You bet. And I'm and thank you for helping those kids out and and thank you for your service. Well, thank you. I don't thank get to say that a whole lot anymore now that I don't work on base. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate that. Thank yes, you. Sure. So, all right. Uh, thank y'all for listening to Wilderness Law Podcast. Bye. Bye. Oh, and uh, Viking Strong. Make sure you go on our website and buy some Viking Strong Resistance bands. Uh, what's the thing? Being strong isn't enough. Be-